back. I'm excited about this morning's message. It's reading the Bible says in Psalms when David said, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's how I feel every Sunday morning where we get to come back and we get to have church. And I don't know about you, but I need a church, man. I wait till Sunday. You say, why? It was just one of those weeks. You ever have one of those weeks, anybody in here? Okay, a few of you had one of those weeks, okay. So we're all in unity this morning, that it's just good to come back to church, and there's just something about it, and if I could have, I would have moved church last Monday if I could have, but I uh, wasn't allowed to do that, but uh, I'm excited about this morning, and it's time that we're going to get to look at God's Word. Is my mic on? If you don't care, it's all right. My voice carries. You'll, you'll be fine. I'm excited to be back with you this morning. We're going to be in Judges chapter number 15. Judges chapter number 15. We're continuing our series that we started last week entitled Live Fire, Pants on Fire. And we're using this cute little rhyme that you used to say way back when. Hopefully you don't still use it. Hopefully you've stepped up just a little bit. And I've got to say... Those of you that were here last week, man, you guys deserve a medal. That was some tough stuff, and you guys made it. You guys are, you, you have, you're, you're, you guys arrived. I mean, I'm telling you what, when you guys went through last week's message, that was some deep stuff that we went through, and uh, we, you guys just did great flying colors. It was awesome to have you guys part of it. This series is, is a just a different series. I was, last week I got back after the message, and I was just feeling like, man, that was just heavy on my heart and on my spirit. And uh, I said, you know, this week, Lord, you got to give us something a little bit lighter. And so as it came to chapter 15, um, it wasn't happening. I was like, man, this is kind of depressing here. And chapter 15, uh, Samson, little backstory to the character, the main character that we're studying over the next couple weeks. And Samson was one that we talked about how he was, he had perception deception. What do you mean? Everybody around him was the problem except for him. And sometimes you and I wouldn't get that kind of mindset. Everybody else is at fault. We're never at fault. And instead of calling out the liar in others, this series is all about calling out the liar in ourselves. Because before I ever lie to God, I lie to myself. Before I ever lie to my spouse, I first lie to myself. Before I ever lie to my boss, I first lie to myself. That's where the lie starts. And all throughout Scripture, you'll see writer after writer commentating on this deception that just plagues humanity, that we are so easily deceived by our own spirit, our own heart. The Bible says in the prophet Jeremiah, he says, the heart is evil above all things. That's our heart. So you've got an enemy that's in me. And that enemy is deceiving you, is tricking you. Uh, you ever gone somewhere and you see a friend, but then they look at you kind of funny and you're like, I bet they don't like what I'm wearing. That's what it is. And you totally read into that look or I bet they're mad at me. I bet they're mad because last week I didn't say hi or I didn't message them on Facebook or I didn't like their steps. I bet they're mad. Oh man, the boss just walked by and he didn't stop. He didn't slow down. I bet the boss wants to fire me. Uh, I you know what? Um, this is happening and we just kind of, our mind just spins these things and stories and we start deceiving ourselves. And last week we dealt with how Samson fell into his own trap, how he deceived himself and how you and I, we are very susceptible of lying to ourselves and how it's time to call us a liar in ourselves because we said this, we said the lie we believe will 
the line derived fault rules or will determine the last Albert Speer. May or may not have heard of Albert Speer. He was the right hand man for Adolf Hitler. I think we need the right hand man for Adolf Hitler. He was the man that took care of the armament of his army, made sure they had plenty of weapons, made sure everything was he administrated everything. And one of his assignments was Auschwitz, where he was sent to Jews, and that's where we saw all the atrocities that were happening there. But what's interesting to note about Albert Speer is everybody around him said Albert was a good Christian man. He loved his family. And in his own biography, he wrote, I had thought things were going on at Auschwitz, but he said, I never wanted to know the truth. But I'd like to believe the lie. And all the atrocities that went on were because one man was over it all. Nazareth meaning he's 
can't touch anything dead. He can't drink anything fermented. And he um, can't ever get a bad haircut. He can never cut his hair. So that's what it takes to be a natural. Samson was a walking than all the other nations around you. But the nation of Israel had one problem, that was idolatry. They worshipped the gods of the other nations. And once they started worshipping the gods of the other nations, it was easier for them to act and do what the other nations did. And so instead of being different, they started to blend in and be like all the other nations. Samson, when they would see Samson with this long, flowing mane that you know people would be jealous of, you know, and he could be in those nice shampoo commercials, and they just saw that he never drank anything, and they saw that he never would be around anything dead. He was a living illustration of what it means to be separate, what it means to be different. And the nation of Israel would see him and say, that's what God wants from me, not to not cut my hair, not to do that, but God wants me to be different, to stand out from the ungodly nation. That's where God puts Samson on this earth. Chapter number 14, he falls in love with a woman in Timnath and goes to his parents and says, hey, Mom, Dad, I found this girl, and the translation meaning, hey, She's the one, is basically what he, Samson tells his parents. His parents say, are you sure this is a Philistine? Philistines are over us. They're in bond, they put us in bondage. Or are you really sure you want to wipe the Philistine? Philistine? I'm just Philistines, all right? And he does, they say, hey, Philistines is great, all right? Good thing James is in the next room. They said it's going really bad, all right? And so they're on their way to go to the Philistines. Uh, yes, we're going with it. And so they're on the road. And Samson leaves, and he starts walking in the vineyard. Now, for a guy that shouldn't be drinking, shouldn't be around anything that's grape-oriented, this is not a good place to be. The Bible says a young lion comes and attacks him. The Bible says that Samson rents it like it's nothing. He kills it. Meets up with his parents. They go to this wedding feast. This wedding feast is called a mishtah in Hebrew. Basically, this was what we call a cake party, okay? This involved a lot of alcohol. It was a seven-day-long feast where they would be drinking food and this is Samson throwing himself right in the middle of this, okay? So this is Samson. He's doing things he shouldn't be doing. And he's just, he, he, for a guy that's supposed to be very different, he's really blending in really well with um, some worldly things here. And so he gets mad because somebody discovers the riddle. He leaves. He's gone for a season, comes back. His fiance, so he's given to another man. In a rage, he's going to burn the Philistines' crops. So he burns their crops. He comes back, and the Philistines that found out the crops were burnt, they murder his betrothed wife, he was both married, and her father, and his sister, his virtual family. And Rage, Samson kills them. Well, now we're going to kind of take it up in chapter number 15. Because in chapter 15, Samson goes up to the rock Edom, and on the rock Edom, the Philistines come down, and they tell the Israelites, the nation of Judah is there, and they say, hey, you better go get him, or you guys are going to pay the consequences for what Samson did in burning our crops. It was a time of harvest, and here's their money is gone. To the agrarian society, all the, all the wealth is gone. Samson destroyed it. Now, 3,000 people of the tribe of Judah go up to the rock Edom to go get Samson. 3,000 for one man. They were a little bit intimidated by Samson, don't you think? Like, hey, not just two or three, not just four, not just five, not just a hundred, not just a thousand. Hey, we need 3,000 for him to go get Samson. Okay, so they go up and they get Samson. And we're going to pick up chapter 15. Verse number 15. Here's what the Bible says. Actually, let's back up chapter, uh, verse 14. 
And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines scouted against him, and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, Samson, and the cords that were upon his arms became his flask that was burnt with fire. Then he off his hand, and found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand and took a thousand men. Three thousand went down to go get Samson. They brought him down. And here Samson finds a new jawbone of a donkey. Now think for a second. It's new, meaning it's fresh, which means it's still gooey, okay, folks, all right? Not to get the best mental picture. In the video clip, we saw it's a nice dry bone, okay? Probably bones get dry, they get brittle, not a very good weapon. This is a new, this means this thing has just died, so it's stinking, it's smelling, probably maggots falling on it. Yeah, all of a sudden, it's kind of getting gross, isn't it? That's the weapon that Samson picked up and charged these thousands. Now, in earlier verses, when the 3,000 were bringing Samson down, the Philistines began to shout. Means they, they, were, they were celebrating a victory. They here, Samson, you got it. All of a sudden, now they're not shouting. Now Samson's slaying them. Because Samson's just gone wild. I mean, he picked up this jawbone, and he's charging them. All of a sudden, I'd be pretty afraid, too. Here's this crazy man. He's got this donkey head. It's half decayed, eyeball dropping out, little bone, little tooth, and everything. And he's running at me. You would run, too. This is a pretty scary sight, okay? So let's look at the Bible, how we're supposed to look at it. Sometimes I'm like, oh, Bible's so boring. No, no, if you read it, all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, no, I didn't used to picture it like that. That's interesting. Okay, so that's where at verse number 16. Instead, with the double of an ass, more than that, that I slain a thousand men. Just a little celebratory song, okay? A little end zone dance, a little touchdown dance, a little, little move for him. So that's what he does. He, he, he's a poet, all right? And he starts singing poetry after his victory. And notice something that he does in verse 17. He takes a pass when he had made an end of speaking, that he cast away the jawbone out of the hand and called the place Ramoth Lehi. So what's the big deal about naming the place? I want you to know all throughout scripture, names are important. Today, names are somewhat important. Um, many times, when you name your child, you spend a lot of time thinking about the name, usually. My parents, they named all their children off of Bible characters, okay? There's Joshua, my oldest brother, Caleb, there's Daniel, there's Johnson, there's Lydia, there's Sarah, and then there's Micaiah. How they got Micaiah? I'll go to, like, um, doctor's offices. And they honestly think a black person's got to come in sometimes. It was just like we had no idea. The name just didn't fit, you know, the person. It was, we just weren't, where's Micaiah? And I often ask my parents, where did you guys get Micaiah from? Like, Joshua Caleb, those are all normal names. Where did Micaiah come from? And they said, well, there was this minor prophet that died. <laughs> Thank you. Love you, too. Still in the love, okay? So I'm named after a prophet that's mentioned once in Scripture and died. So, uh, parents, they said they were significant meanings. It's great. Okay. All right. I don't want to know the significant meanings. They just later told me the backstory. Some of you have heard messages on the character of Micaiah, this prophet, that said, as the Lord lives, even what he says, that will I speak. Meaning, hey, I'm not going to say what everybody else wants to say. I'm going to say what God wants me to say. And to stand. All of my brothers and sisters are named as stand and had to stand alone. So that was the meaning behind my parents naming their children. So names are important, not to do now, but they were more so back then. Just done this incredible feat, and guess what he does? He names the place after himself. It's called the place of the jawbone. He was basically saying, I want to 
go down in history with being remembered as the guy that killed a thousand people with a jawbone. So just so nobody forgets what I did, I'm going to rename this place. Talk about arrogance. Talk about just filled with himself. He thought he did it. He thought it was all about him. And this, that's the opposite of bondage, isn't it? God just did this supernatural miracle. One man, a thousand. I mean, I'm pretty good, but I don't even think I can take on a thousand. You know, I mean, this is pretty difficult, all right? Seriously, though, can you imagine even our best military personnel, one, taking on a thousand? This is a supernatural miracle that God did, and God should have gotten the glory. This should have been a God, thank you for preserving my life. That should have been the end of me right then and right there. There's been moments when God has supernatural in your life. And the temptation for me is temptation for me. Huh. You know, Judge, yeah, man. Judge, yeah. Imagine that. He did not. We've got to come back to the place between you and God. But then I want you to see something that happened. Notice if you would. Verse number 18, the Bible says, And Samson was sore of thirst, and called the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance unto the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. But God slave and hollow slave that was in the jaw, and there he watered thereout. And when he was drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore, catch this, he called the name thereof, and that the which is in Levi. Previous verse, he named it after himself. The very next verse, he renamed it. It's like he has that moment of truth where he realizes that this moment isn't about me. God had called me to be a judge to deliver Israel. This is the first time I've done any delivering from the Philistines. And it's like he has this moment of realization that it's not about me, that it is truly all about God, and God gave me this victory. So he renamed the place. And basically what that place that he renamed it means is simply this. The, the color spring or the hill of the crier. Basically the place where he cried to God. Where he called out to God. This is part of the message, but it's a good question. Where is your place that you call out to God? Where's your place that you cry out to God? Where's the place that you go, that you said, this is my place. This is the place that I have named where I go to God. And God, just like Samson, revives my spirit. The Bible says his spirit was revived. His strength came back to him. Here's the man who said, I'm about to die. I need some reviving. I need something. He's severely dehydrated. And he renames the place, a place that he names it out of utter dependence that was truly all God. Honest with God, that will be some exceptional, amazing things in our life. And finally, verse 20. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. 20 years. I've entitled this message God takes me to miracle, and God takes me safe and turns them into miracles. God takes me safe and turns them into miracles. Because Samson didn't have a great start, folks. Samson messed up along the way, didn't he? Chapter 15 is riddled with mistakes. Chapter 14, riddled with mistakes. For a man that was supposed to be a man just like God, who was supposed to be set apart, he's not doing a very good job. He's doing a terrible job. 
But that even in the midst of all his mistakes, even in the midst of lying to himself, God says, I'm still going to do a miracle. God didn't just do one miracle in his life. Here he is. The Bible says the Spirit of God came mightily upon him. He was bound hand and foot. He broke him just like it was thread that was heated by fire. He just broke it. And the next moment, he's killing a thousand dudes with a jawbone. And then the next moment, he's about to die. And God sends water out of the spring. God does three miracles in five verses for a guy who's messed up. Helps me to know that God wants to do things in my life. Helps me to know that God wants to do things in your life. That God wants to take your mistakes. That God wants to flip some things around. That God wants to flip your script. That God wants to do things better than you can possibly imagine. You see, Samson was blinded by his pride. He was blinded by his anger. He was blinded by his sin. Some of us, that's where we're at. But the first step to solving any problem is to admit there is a problem. And to get honest, not necessarily with anybody else, but just with God. God, Psalm 139, search me and know me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. God, find that secret place in my heart because my heart is desperately wicked and I don't want to be fooled. I want to be honest with you because when I'm honest with you, that's when I have that strength that I need. That's when I have that power that I need. If I cover it, God will uncover it. But if I uncover my sin, God will cover it. God and say, God, here it is. But how do we deal with the perception deception? How do we get beyond that? I want to give you some encouraging thoughts this morning. First of all, I want you to see that there is power beyond the past. There is power beyond the past. Did you see verse number 14 all of a sudden? Here's this man, he comes on, and God's spirit mightily comes upon him and breaks the cords, and he takes out a thousand gods. It's like God says, yes, Samson, you did do these things in your past, but it doesn't matter. It's all about what I want to do in the future. You see, some of us, we're living in the past. The past years ago, five years ago, five days ago, five minutes ago. But we've got to get to the point where we're saying, wait a minute, God wants to give me power beyond my past. Beyond what I've done, beyond what's happened to me, or what I've done to somebody else, God wants to give me power beyond that. God wants to work in your situation. God gave Samson this unnatural power beyond his situation. God wants to do the same in your life. Some of us, we've fallen in love with our yesterday. Remember when the kids were this size, they were so cute. They weren't wrecking the car, and they weren't going over their minutes, and they were just so easy to manage. I wasn't wondering what time they'd be back at night, because I'd just go to the next room. There they'd be passed out in their bed, just asleep. Man, those were the days, but now I look over. What is this brief next to me? Who is this? It's definitely like your father, not mine, because he adopted. And we start looking, and we say, man, these yesterday were so good. Man, the past was so wonderful. I'm afraid you've fallen in love with it. That job I used to have was so good. Man, that girl I used to date, that was pretty good. Oh, man, that place I used to be, that city I used to be. And we keep looking back at the past because if we fall in love with our yesterday, we miss out on our today. We miss out on what God wants to do right here, right now, in this moment. 
mercies are new every day. See, some of us, we keep asking God to do something above all that we ask or think. And God says, why? You just want to live in the past. Why should I do anything new for you? Because your memories, everything is about the past. It's just this broken track cycle over and over and over. And you're stuck in yesterday. And God's saying, i got so much more for you. i got this power beyond that I want to do something through you. But you can't be in love with yesterday. Hey, it's time to end that relationship with yesterday. It's time to write the Dear John letter. It's time to say, hey, I'm breaking it off. Yesterday was good. I was talking with somebody who visited our church, and he said something really good. You've heard it, and I've heard it before, but I was reminded of it. In our cars, the windshield's the biggest window. And then you have to rear view mirror. It's the smallest part in our car. Why? Because we should spend more time looking forward than we are looking at the future. Some of you, you need to break the rear view mirror. You need to take that thing down. Some of you say, my car is already gone, man. I'm good. You know, it broke, it broke a long time ago. life. There's new blessings. There's new miracles happening. There are churches starting all over this area. God is on the move, and if we're stuck looking in the past, we're going to miss out what God wants to do today. You're going to miss out on the blessing. You know, my wife and I, we, we have this little, I have a pet peeve. It's when we're in a moment, we're sharing a moment, I don't like to Instagram it. Here's what used to happen to me, okay? Alright? You say why? My kids would be having a good time on the playground.
also, instead of being grateful for how it is, we worship how it was. We worship it. We look back and we just want to bow down to how good it was. Instead of being grateful for what God has done. You see, folks, you can't be who you're going to be and who you used to be at the same time. God says, in this situation, I'm trying to make you more like me. Not necessarily more of you, more like me. Conform to his image is the goal of the Christian life. Be more like Jesus. The more like Jesus, the better the relationship is. The more like Jesus, the more we love our neighbors. The more like Jesus we are, the more we love our boss. The more like Jesus we are, we love the people around us. The more we become like Jesus, the better things get around us. Because Jesus is the goal. Not to be more like some movie star or some boss. but to be like Jesus Christ. And working forward to his image, that's what it's all about. Is to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And we're to be grateful for that because God says, I want to change you into something, but I can't change you into something if you're trying to hold back on to what you used to be. God says, I'm trying to make a better you. So Samson, he was used by God to accomplish the greatest miracles. Awesome. Power. Incredible. Glory had a great victory that day. You know, lately I've been praying, God, I need your power, I need your power, I need your power. And then it was almost as if God spoke to his own voice and said, Why? What are you doing that you really need God's power? Ever pray for God's power? But then you step back and think, Well, I kind of do it myself. I think so often we as believers, we're not doing it that really requires the power of God. Where are you pushing the limit forward where you really need the power of God? Where you really need to step out and say, God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I need your power in this situation. I need you to work. You see, we pray for it, but we don't really know what we're asking for. It's like my son Austin. He always asks me if he can drive the car. I don't know why he always asks me. He'll say, can I drive? Can I drive? One of these days, I'm just going to freak my wife out and be like, yeah, go ahead. How about it? Yeah, go ahead. He doesn't even know what he's asking for. He wants to drive his tune. <laughs> God, I want your power. I want your power. We pray for it at dinner. God, I want your power. It's like, just have this salad. Well, actually, you might need power just to eat a salad. Some of you, you're like, yeah, I'm on this fucking diet. I need to have power. Because it's like, But what are we doing in the life that we're saying, I'm taking this next step. I'm going to grow into this area. I'm going to invite this person. I'm going to give beyond my measure. I'm going to do something beyond. See, Samson was stepping out, at least. He was a mistake. He had done some wrong things, but he was still stepping out. He's still willing to pick up the juicy donkey head and chase after a thousand. You want power? Where's your soldier army that you're chasing after? I don't get those things. I have all this nice stuff. Why? Collected artwork. I like to collect these baseball cards. Why? You don't get to do anything with it. It's a perfectly good football, but it's got Joe Montana's signature. You're like, no, I don't want to play with it. I I mean, I get the sentimental value. I get that it's monetary value. What good is it? Some of us want to just collect God's power, and we want to put it on a mantle. And we come on some part death like, I have God's power. Okay? So, what are you doing with that thing? With that God's power? We can pick apart Samson all day long, folks. He had a lot of failure. What are you doing with God's power? Are you saying, I want to do something different? So when I pray for it, 
for it. God says, you need it. When are we as a church going to say, we need God's power to build something, to be something, to impact this community? There was a shooting just down the street from us, and I thought, how many times did I walk past that street? How many times did I invite them to church, and now there's somebody who's dead, who's a mother trying to shoot her children, and the police have to take the mom down, and it happened a block from here. We need power in this community. It's on the news, Thursday night, Friday night. to put our heads in the sand and say, no, no, it's pretty safe city, we're okay, it's all right. My kids go to private school, and you know, I've got a nice insulated job, and everything, everything's protected. God's power is going to impact this community. God's power is going to make a difference in the city of We didn't come here, we didn't start this, so we could just be a nice little club. So we could just kind of high-five each other and feel good and kind of have donuts and coffee. We could go down and get a community center and be a lot cheaper. We could just kind of meet. But if we're really about doing something, we've got to be like Sam. She says, I'll charge a thousand. I'll go after it. Because I believe God's looking for some people, and forget my language here, who are just dumb enough to go and try to do something great. And that'll take God's power. And we say, you know what? Yeah, wouldn't be foolish enough to do something for God. Be reckless. Try to do something different. I want you to see the power beyond the past. The miracle beyond the Sometimes God will take you places you would never want to go. But because God wants to do something inside of you and through you. Justin had all these issues. But I want you to see something, though. Sam said in a few verses, he turned it around. He said, I first named the rock about me, but then I changed it to God. You see, he knew that he had messed up, folks. He knew it. But every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. We've all got our issues. We've all got a problem. We're all growing in grace. We're all becoming more like Christ. I'm never going to be a perfect parent, but I will constantly keep trying. I will never be a perfect pastor, but I will constantly keep trying. I will never be a perfect friend, but I will keep trying. I will never be a perfect husband, but I will keep trying. Some of you quit. I'm giving up. I can't do it. And the moment you quit is when Satan says, I won. That's a win. Your family loses, your job loses, your spouse loses, your children lose. Everybody around you loses because you said, I quit. And I'm going to make this life about me. Samson didn't just stop. Samson came to the point and said, you know what, chapter 15, man, that was, I did some dumb things. Chapter 14, I did some really dumb things. Wow, I didn't even know, man, ah, I don't know what I'm thinking about that girl. I don't know, what happened? And all of a sudden, he said, you know what, I messed up. But I love how God can work even out of our weakness. I know today it's not cool to look weak. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You don't like to look weak, folks. We do everything we can to look strong. I buy smaller and smaller shirts just to look better, okay? All right, some of you think, hey, you going to the gym. No, they're getting smaller, okay? I'm from an extra large to a large, okay? And so it's a... And, and we do things perception, because we're big on perception. We want to wear the right clothes, drive the right cars, because we don't want anybody to think we're weak. When we go to the company, man, we want to look like Jane Face, and we look like a man, and wherever we step into, we're just competitive, and we just, oh, I'm going to own this. We don't want to appear weak. Samson wasn't afraid to. He wasn't afraid to name the place. They held up the quiet. When people went to go to that spring to get water, they say, yeah, we're going to the hill of the crier. Who cried? Samson. The dude who slew, who slew a thousand men was crying? 
Yeah, he's about to die. He cried to God. Wow. I'd like to know like that. There's a person, whenever they get in this situation, they just cry to God. He's not worth giving you weakness. He wasn't going to pretend. He wasn't going to pretend that his strength is his. God won't bless who you pretend to be. Pretend up. You're flying to yourself. I've noticed, and men, you know this too, if you've been married in like a son. Our wives see right through anything we do. It's just like, I know why you're doing that. I know why you're trying to act like that. I know the pretense. They know the real life. Mom's very adept at doing it too. Moms just have that fifth sense. They know when we're just putting on air. They're, they're amazing. God will come to you. God will use when we feel weak. God will use us when we feel unworthy. But we've got to recognize we messed up. And when we mess up, we fess up. And God will take care of the cleanup, folks. God has something for us. And lastly, there's hope beyond the hurt. Verse 20. One of those verses of the scripture we've read, and you just kind of gloss over it. But I love the last two words of verse 20. 20 years. Verse 20, 20 years. You say, what's the big deal about 20 years? I'd love to have the next 20 years in this church. I'd love to make an awesome love about God's church. I'd love to see this church go on for 20 years. I'd love to see the same God the next 20 years. I'd love to see you grow and be blessed by God over the next 20 years. And 20 years is not just thrown in there. It's everything. For 20 years, God's blessed and power and new Samson. For the next 20 years, folks. Five days multiplied one year. I want you to know that there is hope. There is such a story. It's fictional, but it's still a great story. There once was this Persian prince who had two servants, and his servants messed up, so he's going to execute them both. Well, the one servant just kind of accepted his fate. Now nah, it's over. The other servant wasn't so quick to give up. He knew that this young Persian prince was very vain, and he had one treasure possession, and that treasure possession was his favorite horse. He loved this horse, cared about it. Make sure he's got special food, you know, all that organic stuff, you know, grass-fed horse and everything like that. And so he really took care of this horse. And the servant knew that. And the servant said, oh, great king, if you would, would you give me one year? Postpone this execution give me one year. And if you give me one year, I will keep your horse out of the lot. The prince was like, no. Well, the two servants were walking back. The one was about to be executed. The other was going to have a year in order to save him. As they had those few moments, the two servants were talking. And the one servant who was about to be executed said, You are crazy. There's no way you can keep that horse of life. And the one said, Maybe not, but I just gave myself four chances for this. 
tell you in a rut. And God said, I've got to get you out of this place. You've been living here too long. You've been here. And I'm going to shake you. I'm going to kind of wake you up. But it's going to be okay. You're not going to die. But it's to get you out of this comfort zone. I want to do something through you. See, sometimes God wants you to learn something. Sometimes God wants you to leave something. God wants you to do something different. You can't just stay stuck too long. Don't miss that. How many Christians do we know? Eh, it's kind of go to church. That's it. Don't do anything else. Don't pray. Don't read the Bible. Never bless anybody else. Never tell anybody else about what God's doing. Never tell anybody about Jesus Christ and how he made change in their life. They're just still in a rut. And God's saying, hey, even in the midst of adversity and controversy, I'm doing something. And lastly, even in the face of uncertainty, God's not going to do There's one word you can put about the future. None of us have a crystal ball. None of us can predict the future. You know what? I wasn't called to predict it. I was called to initiate it. They said, what was the magic behind great leaders like Steve Jobs? They said he could envision a preferred future. Everybody else would go by consumer reports. What does the consumer want? Kind of how our politicians do it. What do the consumers want? That's how we'll vote. That's what we'll do. Is that a future you envision for your family? Have you thought about children you want? Mental picture. Hey, I gathered up some of the church team and said, hey, let's go down to the fear, the biggest fear that they had. Let's just go in there. Five hundred. We're about fifty or sixty here. Five hundred. We walked in there, and we were bored. I mean, just huge. We could make watch the movie and the chairs of leather. Doesn't smell like popcorn. There's an old song We don't sing too many of the old songs here. And maybe but there's one that's called The Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's got some great words. It says, The Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient days doth seek to work us well. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. O oh, earth is not his equal. And though the world with devils fill should threaten to undo us, we will not. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness may be granted. We tremble not before him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word. A mighty fortress is our God. In the midst of uncertainty, where's your rock? Samson renamed the rock. He knew where he came from. He knew where his strength really lies. Where does strength come from, Christian? Does it come from if you feel good or not? If you've had your coffee or not? If somebody's been nice to you or not? Or does it come from the rock? Does it 
Does it come from a mighty fortress? Does it come from God? So no matter what happens in the economy, no matter what situation is thrown at you, you say, I'm, 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 nothing seems to be. Something may happen with the business. Something may happen with the relationship. Something may happen in my life. But you know what? I got this rock, but I'm not. Mighty fortress. I stand on your feet.